you even get into prequels and uh, things such as that. I was curious, and so I Googled what is the, the best sequel that's ever been made of a movie. And I found a website, Rotten Tomatoes, that I know that uh, critiques movies and evaluates them. And on their list of 100, their top sequel, according to their opinion, was a movie called Paddington 2. Paddington 2. I wasn't expecting that. Um, you'll have to do the research on, on uh, that movie to see, to see why that was suggested. But sequels, a continuation of a story. Well, the Bible has some sequels, and I want to uh, tell you about one of them this evening as we study through the, the Minor Prophets. The sequel to Jonah is the book of Nahum, and I'll tell you why we're calling it that as we work through it. I want to give the historical context, and you may not be a fan of history, but uh, as it relates to Bible history, I'm a huge fan. But I think as we look at a, a timeline of history leading up to Nahum, it will help us appreciate how this is a sequel to the book of Jonah. I know you can't read the details of this chart, but this is a, a timeline of the major and the minor prophets. And I am going to highlight some things where you can see them. One is Jonah. We studied Jonah a few weeks ago. His work in Nineveh was about 760 B.C., you remember Jonah. God instructed him to go to, to Jonah and preach to the Ninevites. And uh, he went the opposite direction. And was a storm arose. God caused the storm to arise on the Mediterranean. He basically admits to the crew, this is because of me. Just throw me overboard. Reluctantly, they did so. And he was swallowed by this great fish and kept for three days. And, and then was vomited out on dry ground, and it seems that he hit the ground running, this time in obedience to, to God's command to go to Nineveh to preach. And so he did. And his message, as far as the scripture is concerned, was very brief, but it worked. And from the king down to the lowest commoner, there was a great repentance in Nineveh. Nineveh repented, and God relented. John, uh, Nineveh was spared. And it was because, and this was too much to the chagrin of Jonah. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted God to destroy them. But they did repent, and God relented of the punishment that he had brewing for them. Well, that's 760 B.C., all right? Now, Nineveh at the time became a world, the world empire, the, the powerful nation at, at that time. So powerful, in fact, that in 722 B.C., Assyria comes, and this is God's judgment on the nation of Israel because of their rebellion. He causes Assyria, uh, allows Syria to come in and, and overtake the nation of Israel and carry away Israel, Israelites as captives. They would never return as a nation to, to Israel. This was... Um, by Shalmaneser of Assyria in 722 B.C. Again, Assyria is the world power. And we'll, we'll highlight this more in just a moment. But they were ruthless. They were very cruel in their treatment of these nations and armies that they would, would conquer. A few years later, Sennacherib of Assyria 
surrounded Jerusalem with his army, or his army surrounded Jerusalem. This we can read about in 2 Kings 18 and 19, 2 Chronicles 32, Isaiah 36 and 37. So we can read a lot about this from the biblical perspective. What's interesting is that uh, archaeology has unearthed literally some, some information from a secular perspective. In fact, from Sennacherib himself. There's a, a prism called Sennacherib's Prism, a 15-inch uh, clay prism that documents some of the history from Sennacherib's um, vantage point. And in, on this prism, in this language, there is a history of even Sennacherib's army surrounding Jerusalem. And this is what it says by translation, of course. As to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke, the prism reads. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts, and to countless small cities in their vicinity, and conquered them. Hezekiah, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. And, it, and if you were just to read that prism and that historical account, you would think he had conquered Jerusalem as well. But he didn't. Because he, the Bible tells the rest of the story. Indeed, his, his army did surround Jerusalem in 690 B.C. approximately. But this is what happened. I want to read from Isaiah 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So though that prism Sennacherib records he had Hezekiah shut up like a bird in a cage, that does, that's not the end of the story. Even though he had Jerusalem surrounded, God divinely delivered the people of Judah from Assyria's hand. This is 690 B.C. Again, Assyria, still the world power, but their domination is coming to a close. In fact, that's where Nahum comes in. His work is between 663 and 612 B.C. And I'm sharing these dates only on this timeline. Jonah back in 760. So this is 100 to 150 years later. Nahum's message to Nineveh. Most scholars place it between 630 and 612 B.C. What has changed? What has changed? A lot has changed. The heart of the people of Nineveh has changed. From Jonah's day, even though Jonah didn't want it to happen, he preached, you've got to repent or else. They repented and God relented. Now 100 to 150 years later, Assyria, the nation, the Ninevites have gone back to their old cruel ways. And now there is the judgment of God upon them. He had relented. He had extended mercy, grace to the people of Nineveh during Jonah's day. But now they had 
repented of their repentance. They've gone back to their evil ways. And now judgment has come upon them. And that's the burden of, of Nineveh or of Nahum and his message to the people of Nineveh. In fact, Nahum 1 verse 1, the burden or the oracle or the prophecy against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Looking forward, just as Nahum was prophesying here, it would just be a few years, in fact in 612 B.C., that Nineveh was captured by the Babylonians and the Medes. And in 605, just seven years later, Nebuchadnezzar defeated the, the Assyrians and Egyptians at Carchemish, making an end of the Assyrian Empire. That's a quick timeline, but I wanted to note with you especially what happened during the days of Jonah in the city of Nineveh. But then 100 to 150 years later, Nahum's message is one of doom. In fact, there are three chapters in the book of Nahum, and uh, I want to outline those with you, and it's all about Nineveh's doom. Chapter 1, Nineveh's doom is declared. In the first few verses, it speaks to God's uh, wrath coming upon the Ninevites because of their cruelty and, and how he was judging them. And the complete overthrow of Nineveh is pronounced. Notice with me in chapter 1, verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Again, this is judgment of God coming upon the Ninevites because of their wickedness. Chapter 2, Nineveh's doom is, is described. These are very poetic uh, chapters and verses in Nahum's prophecy. The first seven verses speak about the siege and the capture of the city and how the people would try to flee and how the city would be destroyed. Chapter, or verse 13 of chapter 2 gives the message. Behold, I am against you says the Lord of hosts. Even if we stopped right there, wouldn't that be enough? Behold, I am against you. Again, I think of Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? But if God is against us, it doesn't matter who else may be for us. Their doom is, is sealed. I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke. The sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. So there's a tone of finality of this judgment against the people of Nineveh. I did want to highlight something in verse 6 of Nahum chapter 2, which reads, The river gates are opened... The palace melts away. And this is in the middle of a description of the destruction of Nineveh. But notice the wording. The river gates are opened. The palace melts away. According to the Greek historian, Diodorus Siculus, Babylon laid siege to Nineveh. 
And in the third year of this siege, according to this historian, there was an extraordinary, there were extraordinarily heavy rains that occurred to the point where the river of Nineveh overflowed. One of the rivers overflowed and caused a large section, section of the wall that surrounded Nineveh to collapse, leaving it defenseless in that location. The king of Nineveh figured that all was lost because of this. They were vulnerable at this point. And so he collected his wealth, his concubines, his eunuch, put them all in the palace and set fire to the palace, causing all in that palace to be lost. The enemy entered in at the breach that the waters had made according to this historian, and took the city. In other words, they came in through the river gates to discover the palace in flames. Now look at verse 6 again. The river gates are opened. The palace melts away. And all this is spoken prophetically. And it has an amazing fulfillment in, in, great, in great detail. Chapter 3 is Nineveh's doom deserved. Uh, Nahum spells out, God spelling out through Nahum, just why God was judging the nation or the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. She deserved her destruction because of her sins. She was no better than a city by the name of Noammon or Thebes in Egypt, another city that had many lines of protection but also was conquered and destroyed. And the message is, Nineveh, you're no better than that city, and so you're going to be destroyed just as that city was. Nineveh, though they had been a world power, incredibly wealthy and powerful, that would be no match against the judgment of God. In fact, Nahum 3 ends close to the end with this verse. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? So again, they had been cruel to, to nations and people that they had conquered. And now God is rendering judgment upon them. Notice a couple of lessons. And this is where the timeline comes in. The first one is this. There can be comfort even in a time of God's judgment. There can be comfort even in a time of God's judgment. The message of Nahum was one of doom for the people of Nineveh. However, the people of Judah could find comfort in this message because they had suffered at the hands of the Assyrians. And now God is telling the people of Judah as well that he is judging them for how they had treated the people of Judah and others. By the way, Nahum's name means comfort. His message would not bring comfort to Nineveh, but his message would bring comfort to Judah, who again had suffered at the hands of this ruthless people. I read this week, that when Romania was still under communist rule, there was a Christian preacher that commented that the book of Revelation was the favorite book 
of his congregation, the book of Revelation. They love the book of Revelation because, he said, it was written by John when he was in exile. Why would this book of Revelation, a message of judgment, by the way, I believe upon Rome, why would it be, why would the Romanians love this book? The Romanian believers at this time knew what it meant to be exiled, to be, to be imprisoned, to suffer for the faith. They had suffered a lot themselves. And these Romanian believers read Revelation and they heard this clear message from the book. God is God and he judges the good and the bad. He is personally committed to seeing that evil does not triumph. And these suffering believers in Romania grabbed hold of that message. They were able to personalize it. They were able to look at their own circumstance of suffering and realize that God is still in control. He is, going, he is the judge. And ultimately, evil will not triumph. Uh, Christ and good will triumph in the end. This, said this Romanian preacher, is very different from how you North American Christians look at Revelation. I was convicted by this statement. You're fascinated with historical details, trying to figure out precise fulfillments, you hope you'll never suffer as those early Christians did. We, however, suffer. And in that suffering, we hear God speak to us through the prophet. The same way these Romanian believers appreciated the book of Revelation, this is how the Jews would have appreciated the book of Nahum. Nahum is God's judgment upon Nineveh. Nineveh that had caused so much grief and terror in their lives. But now they're realizing that God is saying through Nahum, I'm coming in judgment upon those cruel people. Evil will not triumph. You stick with me, good will triumph in the end. That's how the Jews receive this message from Nahum. Let me read to you an application that I thought was very good to today. It does us good to be reminded that God is still God. He has the final word on pain, injustice, abuse, and unfairness. When we think evil and wicked people win while good and decent people are punished, it is best not to complete the scorecard until the final whistle blows. At that point, God will make the correct judgment call. The wicked will be punished. The righteous will be rewarded. That knowledge gives us comfort in this book of judgment upon Nineveh notice this beautiful text but also followed immediately by a warning Nahum 1 verse 7 the Lord is good a refuge in times of trouble he cares for those who trust in him isn't that beautiful Beautiful words of comfort. And the people of Judah who were serving God and faithful to Him could find tremendous comfort in those words that God knows about us and He, he cares about us and he's, he's our refuge in times of trouble. But that's not all that Nahum said. But, verse 8, with an overwhelming flood, He will make an end of Nineveh. 
He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. There's again that message of judgment upon the people of Nineveh. But while that is bad news for Nineveh, the people of Judah could find comfort even when God was rendering judgment upon this cruel people. A second lesson I'd like to highlight is that there is a limit to God's patience. There's a limit to God's patience. God had been patient. God gave the people of Nineveh an opportunity to repent through the preaching of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And repent they did, and God relented. He, he spared them. But when they reverted back to their old ways, they reached the limit of God's patience. And so God was left only with judgment upon them because of their cruelty. It tells us there is a limit to God's patience. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The fact that Jesus has not yet returned is an expression of the patience of God, that he's giving us, giving others an opportunity to repent, to turn to him. Because when Jesus comes, his patience will come to an end. There will be no more opportunity. I read this variation of an illustration that I had read and even shared before. But there was a teenage pedestrian that did not notice an oncoming truck as he crossed a busy boulevard in New York City. And just before the young man darted in front of this speeding truck, there was a hand that grabbed him by his clothing and pulled him back to safety. And red with fear and adrenaline, the, the young man then thanked the elderly man for saving him. Several weeks later, the same teenager was in court to stand trial for stealing a car. And when he looked up at the judge's bench, he recognized the man. It was that same man who had grabbed him by his shirt and pulled him back to safety. And when this teenager, you know, being convicted of this crime, saw who he was, he said, hey, you're that man that saved me a few weeks back when the truck was coming toward me. Surely you can do something now. The judge replied, I'm sorry, son. On that day, I was your savior. Today, I am your judge. God is patient. He gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. But one day, he won't be our savior. He'll be our judge. And if we haven't accepted his offer of salvation on his terms, then we'll have to suffer the wrath of his judgment. All people have the opportunity to repent and make their lives right with God in today's terms through, through Jesus, just as the Ninevites had that opportunity when Jonah preached to them. In fact, Jesus, God, longs for all people to come to repentance, to be saved, so they will not perish. But one day, Jesus, the judge, will judge and it'll be too late 
then for repentance. There, God is a patient God, but there is a limit to his patience. All that's from Nahum. A prophet speaking to the people of Nineveh, the same city that Jonah had spoken to 100 to 150 years prior. Jonah had tremendous results. Nahum says, you, you forfeited. You forfeited your opportunity. And now you will experience the judgment of God's wrath. God is patient, but there is a limit to his patience. God has given us even today, if there are changes we need to make, if, there, if we have, as children of God haven't been following Jesus as we should, we have the opportunity right now to repent. And it may be that you desire the prayers of your church family to that end or for some other, something else that may be weighing on your heart, some other struggle in your life that you want to, us to pray about. We'd love to. And it may be that you have been considering obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, just never have done it. You still have the opportunity. And we encourage you to do it now and not risk waiting for another time. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, please come right now as we stand and sing.